You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. There's a high probability that you are watching this presentation because you are a Christian. There is also a high probability that your understanding of God is based upon ideas that are not grounded in straightforward biblical teaching, but on a decreed dogma, which is usually described as the Trinity. Proponents of this formula do not expect or encourage you to explore or understand this teaching. It's described as a mystery. The Godhead, they say, is something beyond human comprehension. God is a father. God is also a son. And he is a Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one. Terms like God in the flesh, incarnation or unbegottenness are used to try and anchor this mainstream Christian teaching into our minds. It is notable that the majority of terms used to define the Trinity are not found in the Bible. The purpose of this short video is to offer two observations. Firstly, to show why God is called Father and by whom. This will involve a small amount of mathematics, but don't worry, all the calculations very straightforward and there will not be an exam at the end. Once this point has been made, we'll ask the question, why does it matter if we, how we understand God? Does it have a bearing on our lives and our beliefs? So let's begin. Firstly, we do a computerized search of the entire Old Testament, looking for the word Father. And immediately we can see there are over 600 occurrences, far too many to deal with. And so we need to refine our search for those that specifically relate to God. And not as the first example shows, Genesis 2 verse 24, human beings. Now, the first search was easy. It took the blink of an eye to find all the incidences of the word father. But now we need to do some hard work and comb through those verses looking for those that connect the terms God and Father. Now, to save time, we've already done this for you. You're welcome to do it again, but we will now show you the verses where God is described in the Old Testament as a father. Before we do that, in case you're wondering, we are using the authorised King James Version. It's well known and a faithful translation, even if the language is a bit archaic. It also has a very complete concordance, which helps us find how often and where words occur. And there's the list, 11 examples. And although the list is small, it is wide ranging, spanning most of the history of God's interaction with his chosen nation of Israel. From the earliest days of their nationhood in the book of Deuteronomy, right through to the time leading up to the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, a time span of just over a thousand years. And we need to look at the list in more detail to make our first points. Now, there is an extra verse at the bottom, which will be dealt with in due course. It needs a little more explanation. So here then are the first three in that list. We will look at Psalm 89 separately. But for now, see who is doing the talking. Now, the book of Deuteronomy is, in fact, a long speech made by Moses to the nation of Israel just before they entered the land promised to Abraham. Moses says, chapter 32, do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise, is not he thy father? 
And then in 1 Chronicles 29, much later on in Israel's history, we have a prominent king of Israel, King David, invoking a blessing on an assembled congregation. And we read, wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our father forever now. Now, now note the plural terms. It is a number of people relating to God as their father, not a single individual. Psalm 103 and Proverbs 3 show God's role as a loving but firm father, ready to show compassion, but also prepared to discipline those he cares for. Note the terms are either again plural or non-specific. Psalm 103, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. And in Proverbs 3, for whom the Lord loveth, he corrects, even as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now this plurality is seen again in the two quotes from Isaiah. Chapter 63, doubtless thou art our father. And there it is again twice. O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. And in six, chapter 64, verse 8, but now, O Lord, thou art our father. We are the clay. Now, none of these cases is a single son addressing God as his father. Now, this might seem to be splitting pairs, but scripture always says exactly what it means. So to continue with the list, in Jeremiah, it continues in the same vein by, God, by stating that God is a father to a nation. There it is. I am a father to Israel. And then the two final instances in Malachi show God likened to a father. In the first case, the prophet is talking to a number of people when he says, where is my fear? Said the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And the second is to a part of the original nation of Israel. Have we not all one father? Have not one God created us? So we've looked at nine out of the 11 Old Testament times God is described as a father. And we see that each of these, the terms are either to a multitude of people or non-specific. So just to recap that, Deuteronomy 32, 1 Chronicles 29 and Jeremiah 31 are addressed specifically to a nation. Psalm 103, Proverbs 3 and the two Isaiah verses are not addressed to a specific individual. And the Malachi references are to a number of people, which leaves us two more to look at. Psalm 89, verse 26, he shall cry to me, thou art my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. If we look at the context of this verse, we find that it is a messianic psalm, meaning it predicts features of the life and work of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And the same can be said for the Chronicles passage. Although the subject of this speech by God is King David's son Solomon, in reality, the true fulfillment of this promise is Jesus Christ. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, in both of these incidences, we see a singular son being related to God as his father, which might on the face of it seem to make the Trinitarian point. But look carefully at the sentence structure. Now, this might again seem to be nitpicking, but as stated earlier, the Bible is not written randomly or carelessly. In both of these cases, the future tense is used. He shall cry unto me, and I will be his father, and he shall be my son. So the subject of Psalm 89 will, at some point in the future, cry to God as his father. 
Likewise, the subject of the Chronicles verse will at some point in the future be declared to be God's son. Neither verses indicate that there was a son in existence at the time of writing. So to recap again, both of the remaining verses, Psalm 89 and 1 Chronicles 17, are yet to happen at the time they were written. They were fulfilled centuries later in the future. Now we promise you some maths. Let's see then how often God is described as a father compared to how often the word occurs in the Old Testament. Well, there it is. In the Old Testament, of the 600 plus times the word father occurs, 11 times they relate to God. That makes 1.7%, or put it another way, if you wade through 300 incidences of the word father in the Old Testament, there is a probability that five of them will be related to God. Now that's not a high ratio. So what happens if we do the same to the New Testament? So we repeat the exercise in the New Testament, and this yields fewer incidences of the word father, 354 times. Now this isn't surprising. The New Testament is a great deal shorter than the Old Testament and covers about just 100 years, a tenth of the time span we looked at previously. As before, we've left the first item in the list to show that the search is a valid one, and that's talking about the father of Archelaus. So now we need to comb through these incidences and find where the word father is directly or indirectly attached to God. Well, just remind ourselves, the use of the word father applied to God in the Old Testament is remarkably few. In the New Testament, there are 264 times out of a total of 354 when God is described as a father. That's 75% of the times. Three out of every four times you come across the word father in the New Testament, it is used in relation to God. That is a massive change. Especially, for example, in the Gospel of John, we get incidences such as in chapter 10, verse 17. Therefore, doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Or in chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. Here we see a very direct ownership of God as a father by Jesus Christ. John's gospel alone has Jesus calling God my father or his father over 30 times. And the same applies in the opposite direction. From Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Without resorting to any complicated textual analysis, we see a very clear difference between the Old and New Testaments with regard to the parenthood of God. So what conclusion can we draw from this step change? Well, the most obvious one to me is that God became a father when Jesus was born. This is something observable from daily life. A man and a woman might get together and conceive a child, but he is only a father-to-be and she is only a mother-to-be until the child arrives. Neither become parents until the child is safely delivered. And the same applies to God. He was not called a father until Jesus was born. And scripture bears out this conclusion. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman. Just looking at this verse, we can see it tells us that there was a point in history called the fullness of time or when conditions were absolutely right, 
And that was when God sent his son into the world, born of the Virgin Mary. So before this fullness of time, the son did not exist, except crucially in God's intentions. And we can see for ourselves that this is a clear and unambiguous conclusion. Now we're going to ask an important question next, but before we do, please can I remind you that your questions are important too. Please feel free to ask questions, subscribe to the Gospel Online channel and ask questions in the comments section. And now to our big question. Why should this matter? Why does this matter? We're, we're all worshipping the same God, aren't we? Well, are we? Now, I'm not expecting you to be able to read that text, especially if you've got a portable device, but it's, let me just read the opening. Whosoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. And that Catholic means universal. Which faith, except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt, he shall perish everlastingly. This is the opening stanza of what is known as the Athanasian Creed, or a declaration of faith and belief. And it doesn't stop there. There's another page of it and another to follow. The Athanasian Creed dates from probably 5th century France. Whatever its origin, it is widely accepted by Orthodox Christianity as a comprehensive declaration of the nature of the Godhead. And there it goes on again. Now, there's far too much information to absorb in these three slides. And if you're viewing them on a handheld device, you probably won't be able to read the text. So we have to be fair and we have to be fair to this creed. And so we're going to include a link to it at the end of this presentation. And we would like you to look at it for yourself and ask yourself, does this make sense? And does it help me understand God? For example, a quote from this Athanasian creed, such as the father is, such is the son and such is the Holy Ghost. The father uncreates, the son uncreates and the Holy Ghost uncreates. The Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Ghost incomprehensible. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, and Holy Ghost eternal. And yet, they are not three eternals, but one eternal. As also, there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. Now, it has to be said that this form of language is not found in the Bible, nor is the creed cross-referenced to the Bible. This extract is typical of the whole document. You really have to check it out for yourself and make a decision. Does the Athanasian Creed clearly define God for you? Or does our analysis of the startling way in which scripture shows that God, in the fullness of time, became a father, make more sense? But just in case you think this is merely a theological exercise, look at the last stanza of this creed. This is the Catholic or universal faith which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. So there is a lot hanging on the outcome of your decision. If the last stanza of the creed is to be taken at face value, you have to believe this to be saved. If, like us, you conclude that the God depicted in this creed is an impenetrable mystery, you really cannot just leave it there because it means that one of Jesus' stated intentions has failed. In John chapter 17, Jesus says this, this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. 
in his often profound discourses in John's Gospel, Jesus talks about life eternal. He's not just talking about a state of being when faithful people are raised from the dead. He's alluding to a, to a changed condition of thinking. Instead of thinking and behaving like human beings, we follow the pattern of life and thought shown by the true Son of God and try to think and act like God. Now, to think like someone means you must know a lot about them, how they behave, how they react, what they expect and want. Another word search now, the word know in the New Testament is the word genosco. That's the one that Jesus used in that quote from John 17. And it's wide ranging in its usage, varying from simply being aware of something right across to a full and intimate knowledge of a being. So we have to decide which level of knowledge God requires of us as human beings. Well, Jesus earlier on in John answered, and said to somebody, if a man love me, he will keep my words and the father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. But to love someone needs an intimate awareness of their character and being. To live with someone needs understanding and appreciation. So back to our question. Can you understand the God of the affirmation creed? Or can you rather understand that God revealed in the Bible who becomes a father to a son he loves and invites men and women everywhere to share in their relationship? You only can decide this, and I believe it matters. So we suggest that you read your Bible for yourself, putting aside any ideas you might have inherited from your Christian culture, and look afresh at the real nature of God, the Father, and his son, Jesus Christ. Only then can you truly understand the words of the most famous prayer ever uttered. Our Father, said Jesus, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus often addressed God as my Father or his Father, but when he utters the Lord's Prayer, he expands the fathership of God to all those who will trust in him and receive the adoption into God's family by faith in God. This is the Bible's wonderful message to all who will listen. God has become a father to Jesus and now seeks to expand that family through Jesus's work so that we all can be adopted into the greatest family on earth. And I, says God, will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. We hope you found this video thought-provoking. It's not our intention to attack or weaken your faith, quite the opposite of that. We would like you to enter to a deeper and more meaningful understanding of the God revealed in the Bible. To this end, we would encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Online, so that you can view the material already there. And if you hit the notification button, you will be informed of when more is uploaded. Now, some things in this video might not be clear. There might be questions you feel we haven't fully addressed. There might be other things that occur to you which you would like us to talk about. Please feel free to share the video and your thoughts with us in the comments section. Above all, please check these things for yourself. Thank you for listening.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.